had various texts from uh, some pastoral colleagues around the country wondering if this morning it's even possible for Jesus to arrive, arise again in the state of Kentucky, I will report to them that indeed it, he is able, even despite our heavy loss last night. Let's bow together and pray. We pray, O oh God, for the capacity to hear beyond a sermon and to hear that word which is the eternal word inviting us to awaken our lives to the transforming power of your love this Easter morn. Amidst the rituals, the alleluias, amidst all of the pageantry, may the sacred word be heard at some moment and do its healing love in our hearts. In your holy name we pray, amen. Five years ago, I finished the one o'clock service at our partner church, Ridgewood Baptist, and got immediately on the highway to make my way to Knoxville, Tennessee, where I'd been asked to be part of an ordination council, that is, uh, an examining group to look at a ministerial candidate by the name of Emily Hull. Emily had just come to Highland, and she was being ordained by her home church. But the ordination council is a place where other clergy, professors, uh, deacons, ask questions of a candidate to make sure that they're really competent and worthy to be uh, ordained into the ministry. Well, I got my times wrong, or I, I don't know. I, <clears throat> I got there just as the ordination council was concluding. I was like a little child coming into the middle of a movie. And so uh, as I walked into the room, they said, oh, we're glad you're here. Pastor, why don't you ask Emily a question? And I, of course, had no idea what questions had been asked already. <clears throat> so I just ask a question that I, always intrigues me. What does it mean to you to say that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins? Emily smiled at me, as Emily always smiles. But in the course of the past five years, we've learned that that smile can be interpreted. It has different variances, different little nuances. This particular smile meant, I'm going to kill you when we're alone together. <laughs> My point in asking Emily the question was not to stump the candidate, but rather to ask amidst all these rituals and confessions, these things that we say that just sort of come out of our mouths that are very important, what do they mean? What does it mean to say Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins? And so this Easter morning I ask, what does it mean to say that the Lord is risen indeed? I have to tell you that for years, I heard this phrase as a kind of victory cry. Our team wins. We're the one true religion. Hooray for us. And it seemed to me in the home that I grew up in where the, the Easter lunch was always ham, that it was kind of an in-your-face Jews. We get to eat non-kosher. What else could it mean? 
Who likes ham that much? You know, come on. But those who experience God as something bigger, something more mystical, more comprehensive, who move beyond God as a tribal God, or a warrior God, or a magical God, the God of our childhood, those who move beyond these understandings into this bigger place, we grow impatient. We even get put off by the platitudes and the quick answers and the dualistic thinking that says we're right and they're wrong. The Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put away childish things. And so to ask this morning, what do we mean when we say the Lord is risen indeed? Is a question that invites adult thinking. And here I'm not just talking about chronology of age. I'm talking about a capacity to think more broadly, more, more beautifully, more wholly. To ask this question, I want to back up just a moment and ask a question about Good Friday, the day that Jesus was executed by the religious and political powers. And since Good Friday, like Easter, is so laden with the barnacles of the past, with assumptions and cliches, I suggest using another story to come alongside it. It's a story of a man named Robert Mansfield, a white man in South Africa. Back in the 1950s, he was the headmaster of a prestigious white school. Mansfield would take his sports teams to play cricket or football against uh, black schools back in the 1950s. That is, until the South African Department of Education forbade him for doing so. So Mansfield resigned his prestigious position in protest to their policies. Not long after that, a man by the name of Emmanuel Nene, a black community leader, heard of Mansfield's actions and made an appointment to meet him. I've come to see the man who resigns his job, he said, because he does not wish to obey the orders which would prevent children from playing with each other. Mansfield replied, I resign because it's time to get out there and fight everything that separates people from each other. Do you think I look like a knight in shining armor? And Nene replied, yes, you do look like a knight in shining armor. But you're going to get wounded. Do you know that? I expect that may happen, said Mansfield. You expect correctly, said Nene. People don't like what you're doing. But I want to join you in the battle. You want to wear the shining armor? Yes, he said. And I too will be wounded. Not just by the government, but by my own people. Aren't you worried, Mansfield asked? Aren't you worried about the wounds? 
I do not worry about the wounds, Nana replied. I do not worry about the wounds. Because when I die and when I go up there, and that's what I intend to do, the big judge will ask me, where are your wounds? And if I say to him, I have no wounds, he will ask me, was there nothing to fight for? I could not face that question. This story, like the story of Good Friday, Jesus dying on the cross to save us from our sins, is a story about being willing to suffer in love. To give oneself fully into life on behalf of the world all around us. Jesus Christ came into this world Not only to resign his position, but to resign from the traditional paths of self-protection and self-focus and self-preservation. And he dies on the cross because he loves all of creation, then and now and into the future, into eternity, human and inanimate. He dies on the cross, and in doing so, his story known in all times and places, his story exposes the lies, the violence, the prejudice, the greed, the hatred, the fear which pervades every generation. Every generation has this. And his coming and dying exposes them for what they really are. They are anti-God which is to say anti-love, which is to say anti-life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus once said. What is the way? The way is love. What is the truth? The truth is that God is the energy of love which created this world and holds it together all the day long, even until this very moment. And I am the life. What is the life? Is not the life the only way to live, which is this way of suffering love? Perhaps it's just coincidence in our English grammar that the words love and live love and live differ by only one little vowel for to love is to live and to live fully is to love it's the heart of God which is deep within us it's who we were created to be it's who we are This is only half of the story, though. For to suffer in love, as valuable as it is, is completed by the mystery, the great mystery, that the Lord is risen. We can't prove it. We can't can't bring back the facts. But we can recognize in this story of Jesus rising from the dead, coming out of that tomb, we can see in 
this story, the universal truth that ultimately suffering love never fails. We can kill it. We can squash it. We can destroy it. We can silence it. We can bury it. We can renounce it. But back it comes to life again, more powerfully and more graciously and more transforming than ever before, taking on new forms as it's passed from person to person, from age to age, broadening its range as we see all more clearly, oh, all means all. Everyone, the good, the bad, the ugly, our friends, our enemies, it means everyone. It broadens this. It multiplies its mission as it's passed forward and it fans out into the world, into jails, into hospitals, into every corner of our city, into preschools, into high schools, into public places and private places, into your home, and sometime, maybe even in this moment, into your heart, into those dark places, it comes. It finds those low and dark and forgotten places in the world and in you and me, and it fills them with this radiating, life-giving, reconciling love. And this is God. This is God. There's no believing or disbelieving in such a God. It's not about belief. That's our Western way of thinking about things. God is the transforming way and truth and life of love revealed in Jesus and seen in all creation, which is not about believing. It's about beloving, embracing, awakening, or as Jesus put it, receiving. Receive the Holy Spirit. This resurrection and life, this Easter story that we do today, is not simply about putting a sugary ending to a sad story. That's not what it is. Nor is it about seeing how pliable or gullible you are to believe things that are otherwise unbelievable. Rather, Easter is about the look of life. Your life, my life, President Obama's life, Benjamin Netanyahu's life, Mike Pence's life, the German suicide pilot's life, everyone. Because in fear and in control, we try to kill it, but it comes back to us. Never in revenge, only in love. And I wonder where you need to feel that this morning. What place in you needs to open up and let that love come in and heal and transform and cause you, as Jesus once said, to be born anew. It reminds me of our physical sun, of our solar system. From two different sources this week, it came to me this idea that the sun, our sun, from the day of its creation, has never stopped shining. For the sun, it's always, it's still the first day of its creation. 
It, it continues. It never, it never moves. It never goes down. It never goes out. It never goes away. It never sets. From our vantage point, it does. Seems hidden by the clouds, it goes down on the horizon, it sets, darkness fills in the void. But always, always, as the stone of the earth rolls back and the sun is revealed, we see that it is doing what it has always done. It's always shining and bringing the light of life to us. This is the Easter message. The story of the resurrection of Jesus the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He seems dead. He is dead. He's gone from us. We wait in darkness. The world we live, the news we receive, we hear about violence and rape and murder and corporate greed and political cowardness. It looks as if there's no light, no hope, no good news. That the stone of fear, this boulder of hatred and resentment and possessiveness has been sealed tight against our lives. But at Easter, this sacred mystical power has the capacity to roll the stone and let the light come forth and do what it has always done to shine. Jesus returns with the most transforming of words. And there are moments in your life and mine when we hear them as if for the first time. Peace be with you. With you. Not just around you. But in you. Peace. Life. Hope. As we sing at Christmas, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. It's just so incredibly beautiful and life-giving. And it's also so incredibly available. There's not one person in this room, not one person, No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you know or don't know about all this religion and God stuff, there's not one person in this room who can't receive this good gift. As Jesus said to those first undeserving, unqualified disciples, so he says to you and to me, receive the Holy Spirit. To the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray together. O Christ of 10,000 faces, come and be among us. Let Easter's celebration this day in this place and in churches all around the globe Hearken the day when we have awakened to your love so that we walk from this place not as religious people, but as people filled with the power of the Spirit to heal your world in your name.
now and forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.